Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Welcome to Truth and Liberty. We have got a great show tonight, and the Word of God tells us in Psalm 19 that the heavens and earth bear witness to the glory of God. Hi, Alex McFarland, and I'm so glad you're watching tonight. We're going to talk about a number of subjects, and I think it really could all fall under the umbrella of creation versus evolution, uh, God or Darwin. Uh, an intentional supernatural creator that not only made life but gives life purpose or purposeless undirected evolution. What a topic because so many other things are informed by this. And in just a moment, uh, you'll meet our special guest tonight, Dr. Georgia Purdom from Answers in Genesis, PhD in uh, molecular genetics from Ohio State. I'm so honored that she's agreed to be on with us tonight. And you'll have an opportunity to ask questions. And the number, if you want to call in with a question, and let me say especially, uh, maybe if you're not a Christian, maybe if you're not one who believes in God the Creator as set forth in the Bible, maybe if you've got questions or even objections against the idea of a Creator God, or evolution being false. Well, call in. Let's talk. Let's dialogue. And the number, we'll get to calls in a few moments. It's 719-619-2341. 719-619-2341. Before I bring up our guest, I want to say what an honor it is to be back. This is my first show of the new year. We had a number of incredible shows last fall. And uh, you know, I think about the last show that I did before Christmas. I was in Woodland Park, Colorado. There was snow on the ground. And just uh, Andrew Walmack and Richard Harris and the incredible crew that make Truth and Liberty possible. We just uh, had a great send-off together, wishing everybody safety and joy over the holidays. But it's a new year. And folks, I want to tell you, not only tonight, but in the the weeks and months ahead, we have an incredible year of broadcasts on Truth and Liberty. So I've got to give a shout out to a listener, and then we'll get to our guest. Last fall, I showed this postcard, uh, and we have a, a viewer who is a professed Satanist. Now, there's no name or address, and, and uh, Mr. Satanist, if you're watching, uh, with all my heart, I want to say I'm honored that you would correspond with me. We got this postcard from a Satanist, and the, he says darkness is rising, and uh, we've, uh, we're deceived. And then Friday, so just about you know four or five days ago, I got this letter, a follow-up letter from the Satanist, and um, I'm not going to read it all, but I just want to say a couple of things. For one thing, um, I, I wish you would give us your name and address because wherever you are, and the letter was postmarked Denver, Colorado, so I'm thinking you're in the Denver area, but, but let me say in the strongest possible terms that I would love to meet with you and uh, in the most respectful terms, let's dialogue. This Satanist has a lot of 
um, objections about the idea of God and salvation, a lot of objections against the place of Christianity in America. And I promise you, uh, sir or madam, uh, whomever, uh, not to argue or be, uh, you know, uh, angry or anything. I would really love to dialogue with you. So thanks for watching Truth and Liberty. Please keep the correspondence coming. But if you could share your email or, uh, you know, whereabouts, really let's dialogue and let's talk. One other thing, and then we'll go to our guest. Based on the amount of biblical language in this letter from a Satanist, it tells me that you probably have some exposure to church and to the Bible. And maybe you were hurt and maybe you were very angry at the God that you say that you don't believe in anymore. You know, uh, we care about you. Honestly, on behalf of everyone at Truth and Liberty, we truly do care about you. I'm praying for you. Uh, and you might not want those prayers, but I want to tell you, Jesus Christ loves you. And God is not mad at you. Now you need to turn to Christ. But I promise you, Mr. Satanist, uh, the devil is a liar. Jesus Christ loves you. He has great things for you, but you must humble yourself and turn to Christ. And I would say also that that resurrection, that empty tomb, is proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Please don't fight him. Uh, and if we can encourage you and help you in your journey toward truth, Mr. Satanist, we would be very honored to, to do that. But right now, I'm going to change gears. And uh, just this past weekend, I preached in Cincinnati, Ohio. And whenever I go up there to Cincinnati and northern Kentucky, I always love to drive by the Ark, the Ark Encounter. Uh, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter started by our great friend and colleague, Ken Ham. We love that incredible organization. And one of their staff members is with us tonight, Dr. Georgia Purdom, and she's a scientist. She's an accomplished author and researcher herself. And uh, first of all, Dr. Purdom, uh, I want to say it's an honor to have you on Truth and Liberty tonight, but I also want to commend you for the great work you're doing uh, in academics and for the cause of truth about creation. And frankly, it's a great privilege to speak with you. We welcome you tonight to Truth and Liberty. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, I want to hear about your journey and how did, how did you uh, get into the career path that you've, you've been on and tell us your story. And then I know our viewers have questions. I have questions, but I want to hear about uh, your, your life and your work. Okay. Well, I grew up um, in a Christian home uh, in the Midwest, in Ohio, and uh, just, you know, I, I love that my parents gave me such a strong Christian upbringing because that really, you know, impacted me. And um, I've always loved science. I, I just cannot remember a time when I didn't like learning about science. That was just something that I think God just gave me a real love for. And so uh, 
I, I pretty much thought I was going to become a medical doctor. Um, I didn't really know what other types of, I guess, what other things scientists did, um, so to speak. And so I was going to do that. And then the Lord really changed, um, really changed my kind of my heart towards wanting to teach. Um, instead of going into um, medicine, I decided to get a degree, a PhD in genetics, um, because I really I've always been fascinated with the little things of the cell. Um, the DNA is really the brains of the cell. And so I wanted to study that in more detail. And um, so I had decided to pursue the PhD. And so I did research, obviously, when I was in graduate school, but I really had a heart for teaching people and helping them um, know more about God's creation. And so uh, after I finished my PhD, I then taught at a small Christian college in Northern Ohio uh, for six years before coming to Answers in Genesis. And it was really um, kind of while I was doing my PhD, but also in my first year of teaching, that I really started to take an interest in origins and in the creation evolution debate because a lot of people um, were asking me um, that were in the church or my students because they knew I had a science degree. And so they're kind of like, well, how can you, you know, reconcile science with what the Bible says? And so I kind of started on my own journey of that because while I never believed in evolution because studying the complexity of the cell and DNA, there's just no way that came about by random chance over eons of time. I knew that. I, I was... Right. I, I never questioned that. But I think what we find among a lot of Christians, and this was true of myself, was I didn't know much about geology. I didn't know much about the age of the earth issue. And so I believed in millions of years at that point, because I just felt like, well, that's what the science seems to support. And so I'll just, I'll believe in that. And and but then God really um, confronted me one morning during my devotions was First Peter 3.15, that we have to be ready to give an answer, all right, for the hope that is in us. And I was like, I don't have answers for these questions that people are asking. And this does matter. I mean, this is about the authority of God's word, the truthfulness of God's word. This is ultimately relates to the gospel. And while I wasn't connecting all of that at that time, I knew that I needed to start to really dive into this and figure this out. So like any good scientist, I started looking at a lot of the science that's out there and um, also really started looking at, well, what does God's word say about these issues and do they really conflict? And uh, I think the two most significant things to me during that sort of year of looking into this, it was during my first year of teaching actually as well, was that um, the meaning of the word yom, which is the word day in Genesis 1, um, hearing that from a Hebrew scholar talking about how it's very clear from the context that it means a 24-hour day. It wasn't just anything you want. You can't just define it yourself. It's how does the Bible define it? So that was important to me. And the second thing that was really important to me and, and probably the most significant was that if God created using, you know, millions of years, okay, to do this, mm -hmm. then that means that God um, used death basically as a mechanism because inherent in evolution in millions of years is death and disease and suffering. And so that would mean that somehow that came about before mankind, that you have death before sin or death before man. And I thought, wait a minute, but that, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches that because of man, because Adam sinned and fell, we all sin, um, all of creation groans, everything is affected as a result of that. And it was sort of like one of those light bulb moments where you're like, 
Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. So I can't believe in millions of years, there's no way, I mean, again, I already wasn't really believing in evolution, but they do go together because if you have millions of years, the evolution is kind of inherent in that. And so it was just this, all of a sudden I was like, I was just passionate about this because as much as I grew up in a strong Christian home, I went to a Christian church, I went to a Christian college, all of those things, I still didn't have those answers. And I was like, I want to help other people have answers to those questions. I want to help educate them. I want to take my passion for teaching now and be able to use it to educate them about um, apologetics and the truth of God's word. And that it really is about not so much about the science as it is about how do we look at that science in light of our worldviews, in light of our starting points. Do we believe that God's word is true and it's told us the truth about the past? Or do we believe man's ideas about the past? And so it really changed my thinking on that. And so I studied for a lot of years while I was teaching, um, really delving into all of the creation literature I can get my hands on, and then um, got my job at Answers in Genesis as a, a speaker, a writer, um, and a researcher there. You know, for those of us, and thank you for sharing that. It's a wonderful story. I mean, a wonderful personal journey. Uh, and in, in a similar way, although I, I really have uh, no background in science, but growing up, going to public school, you know, K through 12 public school, then public university, uh, all I had was evolution. And when I became a Christian in college at age 21, for a while, um, you know, I was like, okay, you know, uh, God exists and Jesus is the savior, but I guess evolution was the tool God used to create. But the more I read and the more I studied, I came to a point there in my early 20s that I realized, no, they can't both be true. And, and for me, you, I'm glad you mentioned this, a big thing, and folks, listen to this. Uh, in the biblical creation story, there was no death before the fall of Genesis 3, was there? Uh, death did not occur, and yet Darwinian evolution, you know, the less fit gives way to the more fit. There was... If, if Darwin were, were right, there would have been eons of death, but according to Christianity, there was no death before the fall. So I reached a point, and I would suspect many uh, viewers as well, where I realized, look, they can't both be true at the same time. Yeah. And it really does matter for the gospel too, because when you, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I think has impacted me the most in my Christian walk is just realizing the foundational importance of Genesis, because, um, you know, if, uh, sin did not come as a result of man's sin, then what's Paul talking about in first Corinthians 15 and, and Romans five and, and all those passages that clearly relate, you know, because of what Adam did and because we all descend from him, we all sin, which is why we need Jesus Christ. So I often say we have the bad news in Genesis, which is why it's good news in Jesus Christ. We have um, the problem of sin in Genesis, but we have the solution to sin in Jesus Christ. And so it's really foundational to the gospel itself. Um, explain, if you would, for, for the viewers and myself, what is uh, entropy? What is the law of entropy? So the idea of entropy is that things are getting more and more disorganized. That's how things tend to go. And anybody who lives on this planet should seize entropy all the time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when you when you uh, get up in the morning, let's say you make your bed, when you get in the bed at night, you mess it all up, okay, it goes to more disorder. Our houses, okay, especially as women, <laughs> um, as a woman yeah. and trying to keep house, you know, it would be nice if entropy wasn't true. Um, yeah. But it does, things go to more disorder. So we're constantly having to organize them. So that's the idea of entropy. 
Yeah, uh, I, uh, about a year ago, I got out my high school yearbook and I looked at what I was versus what I now am uh, aging. That's, that's entropy, isn't it? Right. Yes. And we even see it in, um, we talk, we can't even talk about things like genetic entropy, that our DNA is getting worse and worse over time. I mean, we're accumulating more and more mutations as we go from one generation to the next, we get new mutations. And so we're on a downhill, um, we're on a downgrade, but at the same time, God has made our DNA very robust, so it can take a lot of hits and still be okay, but um, but it's still on that. That's why we have disease. That's why we have things, you know, that's the result of living in a fallen world is things go to disorder, not to order. So um, wouldn't the law of entropy, I mean, that everywhere we look, things, you know, systems left to themselves move from order to disorder, things are running down, we're aging, we're dying. I mean, do scientists uh, behind closed doors ever say to themselves, look, uh, upward mobility is false, uh, natural selection, uh, entropy should stop evolution in its tracks right there. I mean, do scientists ever talk about these things? You know, it's really interesting. Once in a while, I will say you, you'll find like a paper written by scientists where you can kind of see them struggling with that. Like they know it goes against, it's just common sense and all yeah. honesty. You, you don't take like all the parts of a smartphone, put it in a bag, shake it up and get a smartphone out of it. I mean, it's not right, going right. to happen, right? I mean, somebody has to intelligent, somebody intelligent has to put all those parts together or even design the parts to begin with in order to have something that we can use um, and that's functional and complex. And so um, it, it really, I always say it just really goes against common sense. And you will see people struggle with that sometimes. But um, at the same time, they would say, but we're here. <laughs> the planet is here. Animals are here. So it must have happened. It, at some point, somehow, we went from disorder to order, and we ended up with this, because otherwise we wouldn't be here. Um, as, right. as infinitesimal as that chance might be, it must have happened at some point. But things go from disorder to order only if there's an outside causal agent to act on the raw materials. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. So you need, and especially if you think about even things like DNA and the DNA of all living organisms, you're going to need something infinitely complex, um, infinitely intelligent to be able to do um, those things. Because as much as, you know, in my field of genetics, people are like, oh, you've sequenced the human genome, you know, now you know all this stuff about it. We don't know. We know very little yeah. bit. I mean, we're still just plumbing the depths of that because it's so complex and that's just one organism. So, um, so I would say, yeah, they, I would say they struggle with it, but again, it's sort of this case of, you know, we talk about Romans one twenty. it says that God can be known through what he has created, but Romans one eighteen says people suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so right. even though they might, um, know that it doesn't really make any scientific sense. It doesn't even go with common sense. They will still believe it because they don't want the alternative, right? They do not want to follow God and his laws and his ways. They want to follow their own. Mm. Uh, we're going to come back to that. Uh, let me throw this out there. And by the way, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Dr. Georgia Purdom of Answers in Genesis, PhD in molecular genetics from Ohio State. 
uh, creation evolution, uh, questions uh, whether they're related to that or not in a few moments, we will pick up the phone and we'd love to hear from you. And the number is uh, 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. Uh, before we go much farther, doctor, and we'll come back to this, give us the website of Answers in Genesis. For those who may not know, what is the ministry and the website for Answers in Genesis? Okay, well, Answers in Genesis, the website is um, www.answersingenesis. So it's one word, answersingenesis.org, O-R-G. And we have a wealth, I mean, a wealth of resources available on that website. We've got articles, videos, um, just all kinds of media that's there. Um, we have a lot of social media as well. We're out there on all your favorite platforms. And so, um, you know, what we are is really a biblical authority ministry. Um, and we're defending the uh, word of God from the very first verse, that it is true. Whether you're talking about Genesis or Revelation, it's all true. And helping people understand, you know, um, we can't compromise on those things that God's word says and showing them that science supports it because Genesis is the most hotly debated book of the Bible. And we want to so, show them that Genesis confirm or science confirmed what Genesis says. Mm. Uh, let's talk about the word science, because um, whenever I'm on the road, whether it's speaking in a church or speaking at a university, people say this, even people that are, they, you know, say they're a born again Christian, and I'm not disputing that necessarily, but they'll say, well, hasn't science disproven the Bible. Uh, if you would, distinguish for us between the word science or the sciences, like biology or genetics or physics. Um, do you ever feel like the word science is just used way too broadly? Yes, I would 100% agree with that. So we usually, at Answers in Genesis, the way that we talk about it is we talk about the difference between observational science and historical science. So observational mm -hmm. science is, I always call it here and now science. It's what we do right now in the lab. So we use the scientific method. So we form a hypothesis and then we do experiments and we say, does it support or not support the original hypothesis? And so... Um, it's observable, it's testable, and it's repeatable. And those are three very important things to think about when you're doing observational science. Now, most creationists and evolutionists would do that type of science very similarly because it's not really based on your worldview or your starting point because it's something right. you can do and see in the here and now. That's very different from historical science because historical science is dealing with things that have happened in the past, like both creation and evolution. And so they are very much dependent on your worldview because we cannot observe, test, or repeat millions of years or thousands of years, right? Or when God yeah. created, we can't see any of those things, right? The only way that we know about those things, and, and especially when we talk about creation and how God created is we have his eyewitness account in his word. And so, um, whereas what has happened in the past, according to man's ideas, man wasn't there. That's just their ideas of what has happened in the past. And so um, my question always is, are we going to believe the infallible word from the infallible God, or are we going to believe fallible man's ideas, right? Those are, those are the two choices that we have. And um, when it comes to historical science and what what I love about being a scientist is that 
when we do observational science in the present, so let's say, for example, we study um, organisms, they get mutations in their DNA, because that's supposedly a main mechanism for Darwinian evolution. Um, sure. A tight, you know, that's historical science, right? But I can study mutations in the present, and I'll, I can see over and over again, they're causing organisms to degrade and get worse. They're not causing them to add things necessary to go from one kind of organism to another kind. So hmm. it's not, not supporting... When we study mutations in the present, it doesn't support the historical science based on man's ideas, but it does support um, what God's word says, that God created animals according to their kind. And then we have variations within those kinds, but they're not becoming anything different than that. Uh, this is wonderful. Uh, this is amazing. H help us, or if you would emphasize that, look, uh, you know, a human with fingers and digits, a bird with feathers, a fish with fins, all of these things are created with different genetic information. And uh, I mean, just to glibly say, well, a mutation gave us this whole other species. My goodness, it's a vastly different schematic or blueprint of genetic information to make different organisms and creatures, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not just, and, and what I always say from my genetic geneticist standpoint is that people will say, well, you, I, I think they focus too much on, well, if you just make this change, then this could produce maybe some one thing, this thing different. But the thing is, is that genetics is so much more and, and how we produce things is so much more than just changing the um, development of a protein or changing one protein. You've also got to then think about how much of that's produced, when it's produced, where it's produced, under what conditions it's produced. You got to think about the regulation of all of that, which is very, very, which also is one of the biggest, while we do see some similarities genetically between organisms, how those, how that same genetics is regulated differently in different organisms is actually pretty varying. And so um, they might have some of the same genetic blueprints, but because it's regulated different, you get different outcomes. Uh, so it, it's so complex. Like there's just, I always say there's layer upon layer upon layer of information in the DNA that it's not a matter of just making one mutation in one area. You have to make a lot of mutations, a lot of changes, and they all have to work basically, for that to even be beneficial to the organism. Uh, in a moment, folks, we are going to open up the phones for questions. If you've got a question, the number is 719-619-2341. Let me say this, and folks, listen carefully. If you need spiritual help, the number, if you want to talk with somebody, pray with somebody, look, no strings attached. We just want to encourage you. And maybe you've got a question, and how does God's Word speak to your life situation. That number is 719-635-1111. But if you've got a question for Dr. Purdom, it's 719-619-2341. Uh, doctor, before we go to our first break, um, give us a homework assignment for somebody that wants to, you know, become more informed about creation versus evolution and the compelling evidence to trust God's Word on our origin uh, do you have any websites or books you would recommend? 
Um, wow. Well, one of the places I always tell people to start is the new Answers books that we sell through Answers in Genesis. We have four of those, including um, another book that's just on the flood called The Flood of Evidence. The new Answers books just really tackle a lot of those common questions and objections that people have um, when it comes to Genesis, and then showing people not only biblically um, what the information is, but also scientifically how that biblical information is confirmed. They're really easy to read. Um, they're written for lay people to really understand these kind of some, some what can be somewhat sometimes com complex scientific information. And so I really appreciate um, the new answers books. And we have a lot of, uh, again, um, you can get on the answersingenesis.org website and you can type in a question or type in a topic that you want to find out more. And we have thousands of articles on so many different topics. I just encourage people to go there and um, be able to help find, start finding some of those answers. Uh, what, what about the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum? How can people find those online? Yeah, so same thing, creationmuseumoneword.org or mm -hmm. arkencounter.org. Um, those are great. I always tell people, you know, if you want, if you really want to see this in person and experience this, um, to come to the Creation Museum and uh, the Ark Encounter, uh, because and make sure you plan several days. You cannot go through these quickly. Um, if you right. want to really be able to comprehend everything that's there and really enjoy your time here, definitely plan several days for each. Sure. I've been to the Creation Museum four times. I've been to the Ark Encounter three times. We've taken groups there, and folks, uh, you will not be disappointed, and it really is worthy of your trip there to the greater Cincinnati area. Well, folks, we've got a break coming up. Stay tuned. Truth and Liberty is going to come right back after this. Our very special guest, Creation versus Evolution expert, Dr. Georgia Purdom. Your questions and more on Truth and Liberty. Stay tuned. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey everybody, Richard Harris here. I wanted to let you know that the Truth and Liberty live call-in show is now on Twitter. You can watch us there at 3.30 Mountain Time, 5.30 Eastern Time, five days a week. Just go and follow us on Twitter at Truth and Liberty Co. That's C-O. And remember, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So don't miss out. Watch us live on Twitter. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. We've got so many questions coming in online. We want to hear from you as well, viewers. And this is a topic, my goodness, so much 
uh, is shaped by where you land on this topic. We've got Dr. Georgia Purdom from Answers in Genesis, just one of the great organizations in the world. Let me say, I've been to the Creation Museum many times, uh, four times actually, and I would urge you to go, folks, and especially if you go to the Creation Museum, see the exhibits, it's fascinating, it's informative, but you've got to see the planetarium show. And uh, then, of course, the ark. It's a, a down to the most minute detail. Uh, it's a, a recreation, a replica of Noah's ark. And it, it's amazing. It really is. And go to the Answers in Genesis website. And uh, I'm so honored that we have our guest on tonight. The number is 719-619-2341. And... Um, you know, Dr. Purdom, before we go to the first call, uh, let me encourage you to speak to maybe some people are, you know, academics and they've got a science background, and then others might be a little bit intimidated by this topic. But isn't it fair to say, uh, regardless of, of, you know, your educational level or regardless of where you are, the creation message matters to all people and it, it definitely matters to all Christians, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's really important, you know, in our in our culture, our current culture, especially where we have a lot of resources um, at our fingertips to be able to get information. And we really have to be discerning um, between the truth and the lies, because there's a lot of false information out there. Um, even sometimes I'm amazed at when evolutionists try to talk about what creationists believe. It's not even right. It's like they don't even read... Sadly, I think a lot of times they don't read our stuff. I always say, I'm reading their stuff. They need to read our stuff. Like, what do we really oh, yeah. think about these things and these issues so that we can have an intelligent dialogue about them um, and about these issues? And so, um, yes, and, and you don't have to be a PhD in science to be able to appreciate and understand and know um, that it's really important that God's word is true from that very first verse and um, that it matters, like I say, for the authority and, and truth of all of God's word, but spe spe specifically for the gospel. Mm, indeed. Well, so much to talk about. And folks, let me encourage you to read. First of all, read your Bible and trust what God's word says about our origins. Because look, if you're going to trust what God says about our destiny, our future, heaven, eternity, then my goodness, we, we should trust what God says about our history our past. If we're going to believe Jesus for salvation, let's believe what God says about creation, because he was the one there that saw it happen and initiated it. Well, our first call, we're going to begin in Missouri, just one of the most beautiful parts of our country. Missouri, uh, Frank, thanks for holding, and welcome to Truth and Liberty. Well, we're right in the middle of a blizzard here, and it's a <laughs> it's a blessing. Who can stand before his cold, right? That's a where's that in the Psalms? <laughs> Anyways. Right. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. stay safe so, and stay warm. 
state. Yeah, we're 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 staying warm and, and trying to stay sane in the at the same time you're helping. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, you guys got me fired up. I just got my nose between uh, since that other brother from uh, the uh, from the ark there came and talked about. You know, you can find everything else in the Bible from Genesis one to eleven. I've been reading Genesis one to eleven. I don't think I need to read anything else. Really, is Genesis one to eleven, and then uh, the, the rest of the Bible. But anyways. Uh, you know, my, my I want to ask a question about relativity. Uh, and uh, Einstein came up on my my phone today. It was really kind of ironic that uh, I'm getting asked this question about you know e e e equals energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Do you think that there is uh, uh, any? Uh, I, and I just hurt myself. That, do you think that there is any uh, uh, biblical um, basis? Uh, yeah, um, are you Dr. There, Purdom, my, my take, yeah, uh, can I, can I is there any biblical basis for, uh, first of all, let's lay out what Einstein's theory of relativity is or what it implies. It, it, can the Bible and that be uh, in any way reconciled or harmonized, Dr.? Well, I think now I'm going to say this. I'm I'm a biologist by training, so not a physicist, and I don't get into cosmology issues a whole lot on that, especially when it comes to relativity. Um, but um, you know, God has created certain constants and certain things um, in the universe that um, that He's created certain factors and things, and so man is the one that explores these things and figures out the relationships of these things to each other. And so that is what Einstein has done really with trying to understand how energy and mass and all and the speed of light, how that all relates to each other. Um, and so I would say, while there's obviously that formula is not in the Bible, um, I don't think there's anything unbiblical about that. And um, I, I don't know specifically what, what the caller is talking about in relationship to relativity and, and what why it might not be, I guess. Um, I don't know um, the specifics there, but certainly God has um, put things in place and man figures those out and develops formulas to, to be able to understand it. Let me ask you regarding that, um, to a large degree, and, and this is very famous, folks, that Einstein began to believe, and this was back in 1917, believed that the universe had a beginning, and he was not comfortable with that, that his research, and he intentionally uh, changed, he called it a fudge factor, and later on, Einstein said, this was the greatest mistake of my career, and later admitted, you know, uh, if the universe is expanding outward, then it couldn't have done so forever, and there must have been a beginning point. Um, speak to that, if you would, Doctor, that... Uh, if, if the universe had a beginning, then something must have initiated that beginning. Is that something that science, would they, would they acknowledge that, that the universe had a beginning and something must have initiated that? They would say it had a beginning. So most, I think most scientists are to the point where we say it definitely had a beginning, but um, they also would argue that it there doesn't have a designer doing this. That it, they would say it's something from nothing. 
that literally what I think it was the title of one uh, physicist book uh, who wrote about this. And his idea was, while it may be hard to understand and hard to believe, you know, at some point something had to come from nothing because they don't believe in a designer. They don't believe in God. So they would, that's the only basis. I was glad he was at least being honest about it. <laughs> um, yeah. That, you know, something definitely had to come from nothing at some point. And so they would say, you know, somehow that came about and then you, and then you have the big bang that follows that and so on and so forth. But, um, but again, that, that doesn't make any sense. We never see something come from nothing. Never. So right. it just doesn't it, work. Especially, especially just the immeasurable amount of complexity and diversity and, you know, mammals and, you know, reptiles and plants, animals, humans, my goodness, uh, it's it's a big, busy tapestry of created life, and to believe that all of this came from out of nothing, this is just not even rational, is it? It isn't rational. I would say evolution is not a rational belief in any way, shape, or form because um, it's just, I don't even call it a theory because a lot of people mm -hmm. will talk, talk about evolutionary theory, but theory in science has a very specific um, thing that it means, you know, definition. So we would say that, you know, a theory is something that you've done a lot of testing on it. Um, you formed hypotheses, you've done experiments and it supports the original hypothesis. And you've done enough of that, that you are to the point where now you would say it's a theory, but, um, and most things stay at the theory stage because you're trying to show that it doesn't, what all your experiments will not uh, can't, can't show it's not true, basically. Mm -hmm. And so um, very few things become law. Now, some things do. One of those laws, interestingly enough, is biogenesis, that life comes from life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's yeah. another, you know, they can't explain that from an evolutionary perspective, because at some point, life had to come from non-life. And that, again, just goes against that particular law. Um, mm -hmm. But but anyways, they it, it is very, very um, problematic uh, for them to believe that all of this came about by random chance over eons of time. And the thing is, too, like I often say, being a geneticist, time is really not the issue. They will always say time is the key. Well, if we just have enough time, all these things can happen, like you talked about, this whole tapestry of organisms and complexity. But I always say, you know what? You can have all the time you want, but time is not the key. A mechanism is the key. You have to have something, some mechanism by which to gain and add and go from one kind to another. And there's just no such, there's no such biological or genetic mechanism. And the idea that if we just give it enough time, uh, maybe probably cross my fingers it happened, that's faith, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's a <laughs> misplaced faith, but uh, just the belief that if we give it more, many more billions of years, certainly, probably, it might have happened. That's a faith position far greater than the faith of anyone who believes the revealed Word of God. Would you agree? Yeah, it's a blind faith. It really is, because we don't know of anything that does that on this planet, and, and that goes from um, order to or disorder to order. That that you can just somehow produce something by random chance. We know what happens when a kid gets on a computer and types. You know, it's just a string of letters that doesn't mean anything. And so, yeah. Um, yeah so it's very. I always say, you know, Christians have a reasoned faith. We don't have a blind one. So we read certain things in the Bible, and as a result, we expect to see certain things in the world, we see those things and that confirms what God's word says.
Amen. Uh, this is great stuff, folks. If you're just tuning in, Dr. Georgia Purdom from Answers in Genesis, the number is 719-619-2341. We're going to go to South Carolina. Linda in South Carolina, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you. Very interesting discussion. My question mm -hmm. is, how can a born-again again Christian believe in evolution? Because that's so antithetical to Genesis and God's Word. So what do you say to that person? I think I, I, you know what I find is that a lot of people have never really thought through these things before. They've just, uh, even when, it was interesting, even when you talk to, um, uh, let's say, teenagers about why they believe in evolution or college students, they cannot typically articulate a response to that. They will, or if you ask them what evolution means, how evolution works, they just believe it because that's what their teachers have told them or what they saw on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. They're not believing it because they, they actually have a foundation in it. Um, and so I think part of it is because um, they just, they're not well educated on it and they just sort of believe it. Um, and I, I think for Christians, especially, I think it's important to confront them Again, like myself, I grew up in a Christian home. I was a born-again Christian, and I was still believing in a lot of these false ideas that are contrary to Scripture, just because I don't think I had ever been taught um, uh, about those things and I really understood those things. And so I think we have to be intentional with teaching, especially our young people, um, these truths. We can't just take it for granted that they're going to that they're going to just automatically get it, especially when they're getting so much false information and so much information against God's word that we have to be teaching them, you know, bring them to the creation museum and the ark encounter, make a vacation out of it. Um, get some of our resources and really start teaching them these things so that they, they understand and they can, and they can, um, uh, not grow up into adults that are believing these ideas. But, and, and like I say too, you've got to look at the theology of this because this isn't just about the science. It's about the, what does this say about God if he used death? I mean, God is a good God. He's a just God. And somehow you've got sin before, or you've got death before sin. You've got the punishment before the crime, you know? So what does it say about God? You know, what is it? And we know about God from his word. And what does this say about the gospel and, and really look at the repercussions. And I think sometimes you just have to spell that out for people. And once they see it, like it was for me, it's just like, wow, okay. I, I really need to, I really need to understand that. I will say too, I think a lot of times, sadly, the vast majority of seminaries in the United States do not teach literal Genesis. They don't teach Genesis as history at all. So the problem is, is you've got all these um, pastors and Christian leaders being educated, and a lot of Christian colleges don't either. Um, many of them don't teach that. And so they're now the next generation of pastors and leaders in the church, and they don't know the truth, and they're not teaching the truth. Um, and so I think that becomes, that you see a ripple effect from that for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, Dr. Purdom, when I've introduced Ken Ham at conferences, and I mean, we, we've had Ken Ham on the platform, and there were, you know, major published Christian apologetics uh, celebrities that were back in the green room, uh, and they were like, well, I'm, I'm old earth, or I'm a Christian, but they, they don't really uh, believe Genesis in literal terms. And I, I said, look, uh, Ken Ham, in my opinion, is, is a man that has the courage to be on record believing the Word of God as it's written. And really, uh, a lot of these other apologetics guys, and I love them. I've worked with all of them. Every 
Christian apologetics writer and speaker that you've ever heard of, viewers. We've booked them. We've worked with them. But I said, we all should be as courageous as you, Dr. Purdom, Ken Ham, Terry Mortensen, Andrew Snelling, Jason Lyle, the others, to be on record and say, look, uh, mock me if you want to, dismiss me, but I believe what the Word of God says, and God created in six literal days, rested on the seventh. And so, uh, Linda, in South Carolina, to your point, um, how can a born-again believer believe in evolution? Maybe ignorantly, just because that's what they taught, but once, once you hear the evidence for creation as God's Word lays it out, I really think... Uh, I think we've got an obligation to say courageously and obediently, look, I, uh, whatever the secular world wants to say, they can say, but I'm going to stand with the Word of God because uh, I, I care about the opinion of the Lord rather than the uh, to placate fallen man. Uh, I, I just appreciate the courage of those like yourself, Dr., that stand with the Word of God. Great question. Folks, this is Truth and Liberty. The number is 719-619-2341. We're going to go to Kentucky. Lisa in Kentucky, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Hello. Yes, you're on. Oh, okay. Uh, the question that I had was, is um, I, I know that you. a lot of people, I know that I do, I hear a lot of ministering and teachings on you know, uh, what God has provided for us, every need that we've ever needed before we were even created, and, you know, prosperity and healing. But my question is, I know that God went, or Jesus went to the cross, and he paid for the forgiveness for sins in full, and, you know, our prosperity, everything we needed, you know, like, uh, you know, our, our roof overhead, you know, material things like that. But Jesus also went to the cross, and he paid the price for us to be reconciled back to the Father. Now, my question is, does that also mean that the provision that he's also provided for is the restoration for us, for our, our, our own family? It's like our children, our grandchildren, uncles, aunts, uncles, cousins, all that. Um, also, does that also what Jesus also paid for, not just back to the Father, but us as, you know, our personal family, our inner family that we live with every day? Huh. Great question. Let, let me sort of respond to this, and Doctor, I'm going to let you chime in if you want to. Lisa, this is a great question because, you know, the cross is vertical and the cross is horizontal. And I will say that when you, when a person is reconciled with God, there's uh, a great likelihood that they can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, get reconciled horizontally to each other. And the, the Bible talks about uh, to the believers, God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So can restoration and reconciliation happen within families? Absolutely. Um, our Lord resurrected the dead. He can resurrect relationships. He can restore marriages. He can uh, repair relationships between parents and children. Can he? Of course. Does it always happen? Maybe not always, because um, when you're dealing with people, there's free will and there's a sin nature. And sometimes there's carnality where people could get reconciled, 
but they, for whatever reason, don't want to. That's where prayer and patience and the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. But uh, Dr. Purdom, uh, what's your take on this about the, the restorative power of God? Can it really reach in and touch broken families and relationships? Yeah, absolutely. I think it can. And I'm, I'm always amazed sometimes at the grace of God and how he's able to really um, uh, just even just save people, you know, that are just in really bad situations. And, and sometimes I think we think certain people might be unreachable, you know, that they're just so far gone and they're so far into their sin that how can God save that person? But Yet, um, I often think of um, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, who um, she was a, uh, I don't know if you know her. Yeah, so she has an amazing testimony, and she spoke at our women's conference several years ago. And I was just so, um, I, I think I've read her book, her first book, and um, I just that tells her story basically of, of being, for those of you who don't know, she lived an extremely, she was a, a lesbian. She was taught queer theory at, um, in Syracuse university. She's an English professor, but was just steeped in that lifestyle. I mean, steeped in it. And yet God was able to rescue her from that. You know, she, she started questioning um, what she believed and what she thought she started reading the Bible and um, God was able to use that as well as a pastor and his wife and her life. And, um, and it just, it's so cool because she's married, she has children and just how God is able to um, redeem people and save people and know you can't out God. I mean, he's wow. always able to save and redeem. And so, um, and we need to pray for that, especially in that's, that's one of the great ways that those relationships can be restored is when people, you know, have a saving knowledge of Christ. Amen. Lisa, great question. Did you have any follow-up question you wanted to put before Dr. Purdom or myself? Well, I mean, well, I guess what it is, is one of the questions I had is if you guys could help me out with this, is I do believe that if we believe in our hearts, just like Andrew, you know, has been ministering, Andrew Womack's been ministering, that if we believe in our hearts, that, you know, he's provided, if it's something that God has provided for, and that's why I was asking the question, if God has provided that need, knowing that we need restoration of our families, because we had the fall of family for the, at the first family there ever was, you know, Abel and Cain and Abel, you know, there was a brokenness. So, I mean, there's yeah. been generations of that throughout, you know, centuries here. And, and so, I mean, I know, I, I truly believe that God is the restorer. I mean, he showed that in Jesus, you know, sacrifice that I don't doubt at all or, yes. you know, or the power of God. I mean, he can take even the deepest addict and change him. I've seen that in her testimony. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no limit to his power. I, and I understand that. Amen. But I mean, I, I would like to believe, I believe that he restored us as back to the father. I just want to make sure or feel in my heart of hearts that that is also for all families, that that, that sacrifice uh, he did it was also not just to the Father, but for our families, inner family. Uh, and I know we're all family in Christ, uh, but and, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, I do. And, and let me say, I believe that in the atonement on Calvary's cross, folks, um, when Jesus went to the cross and in John 19.30, the Lord said, it is finished, paid in full. Lisa, I, I believe it. Not only did the Lord pay for our sin debt and the guilt of humanity 
such that whosoever will may come. No, I believe that all things, when Jesus says, behold, I make all things new, I really do believe that in the atonement of Calvary's cross, there was not only the forgiveness of sin made possible, but the restoration of all things. And that includes uh, healing, and that includes families and relationships. And um, we're coming up on a break in three and a half minutes. I don't know, um, you, you don't have to elaborate, but I, Lisa, I want to pray for you. Um, are, are there areas of restoration and even resurrection that you need within your own family and relationships? Um, I mean, that would be wonderful. Uh, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, my daughter and my granddaughter are not in my life right now. And my daughter had been living with me since she was born. And I know that sounds a lot to somebody. She was 28 years old when her and my granddaughter moved out. My granddaughter was nine years old. But anyhow, they both were living with me. Um, and there was some conflict in the family. My granddaughter's father uh, has, has been speaking negative to me uh, for a while now. And then he was able to get so custody of my granddaughter and have her he's since he got so custody he's kept my granddaughter out of my life and I'm i was sorry. there when she was born and he wasn't and he didn't come in her life till she was about seven almost seven months old and my hey, daughter let me do this. forgive me for interjecting there lisa i want to pray for you but i want you to stay on hold and if you would get with one of our prayer ministers and if, if for some reason you get disconnected, that number is 719-635-1111. But yes, look, I, I believe Joel 225, God can restore the years the locust has eaten. I believe that uh, in Matthew 6, 8, Jesus said that he knows what we need even before we ask. Let me pray for you, and then I want you to stay on hold and maybe take a little more time with one of our prayer ministers. Let, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Lisa in Kentucky. And Lord, these relationships about uh, child and grandchildren, Lord, uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray for the restoration of these family relationships and custody issues and uh, people not even being on speaking terms. I pray in Jesus' name that the the breaches would be repaired in her family. And Lord, let her very soon, just really soon, be back in just harmony and speaking terms and relationship with all of her family members. Lord, encourage her heart. Let her not be uh, hopeless or feeling despair here. But Lord, just as you have reconciled the world to yourself, reconcile these dear people with each other. And Lord, I want to thank you in advance because you are the God of forgiveness and the God of a new birth and a new day. So we commit Lisa and her family to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, folks, we've got a break coming up, and we're going to have more questions and more interaction with Dr. Georgia Purdom. A uh, lot of questions coming in online about uh, Darwin and his ideas, multiverse, um, how do we defend that God exists? And so, Dr. Purdom, I'm just so excited that we've got you tonight to pick your brain. Before we take a break, give us the website for AIG, the Creation Museum. How can people find these wonderful things online that you're a part of? 
Yeah, so the website for Answers in Genesis is just answersingenesis, one word, dot org. And then the same is true for the Creation Museum as well as the Ark Encounter. And we just encourage you to come out and visit us and um, take advantage of our resources as well. Indeed. Folks, stay tuned. A lot of show left here on this edition of Truth and Liberty with Dr. Lisa Purdom. Don't go away. We're back after this. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. What a great show tonight, and what a privilege to be uh, speaking with Dr. Georgia Purdom of Answers in Genesis. We're going to go to questions, and by the way, the number is 719-619-2341. If you've ever wanted to get an answer to a question, uh, any Bible question, but a, a specifically about creation, evolution, science, can we intellectually believe what the Word of God says about our origins? Tonight's a great night. We are very fortunate to have a good resource here, Dr. Georgia Purdom. Um, by the way, before we go back to the, the phone callers, um, let me ask you this. Uh, how do you uh, get around when somebody just throws out... Uh, well, you know, there's science over here in, in this bucket, but there's faith over here. And it's almost like science and faith are two mutually exclusive realms. How do you address that, doctor? Well, I always say, you know, when it comes to the origins debate, it's not about science versus faith or science versus the Bible. That's really a false um set up, so to speak. It's really about faith in God versus faith in man, right? Because we're all looking at the same science. We're looking at the same rocks, the same fossils, the same DNA. We're all looking at the same evidence. We just have a different starting point to understand and interpret that evidence. And so it really it really comes down to um, an issue of worldviews or starting points or foundations, however you want to say it. Um, for what we believe about the past. And so it is going to directly affect how we look at the evidence and the conclusions that we draw about that. Because like, for example, two people could look at the fossils of our supposed ancestor, Lucy, and they're going to see, if they start from an evolutionary perspective, they're going to say, oh, clearly this is an ape woman who's on her way to, you know, it, the 
follows in the line of evolution from an ape-like creature to man, whereas a creationist looks at the same fossils and says, no, God created um, organisms according to their kind. There's ape kinds, there's there's humankind, they're completely separate and different, and so there's no relationship between the two. So we're looking at the same fossils, but we just have different interpretations of that because we have different starting points. As as you were doing your, your graduate and postgraduate degrees, um, did did the work you were doing in pursuit of your doctorate ever cause you to doubt your Christian faith? That was never an issue for me because, again, I think, you know, we have to think about what is our Christian faith founded in? Um, mm -hmm. It's not founded in the scientific evidence. Because um, I've had people ask me before, is there any piece of evidence that would ever cause you to doubt? And I'm like, no, because my faith isn't based on evidence. My faith is based on the word of God, you know, and the Holy Spirit indwelling me. That's what my faith is based on. Um, if there's a piece of scientific information that someone finds that seems contrary to the word of God, then we need to look at that and we need to try to understand it. There can't be anything contrary to God's word because it's true. And we know that from God's word. And so we just have to figure it out, so to speak. Um, and we have to try to understand it in light of those things. Because the evolutionists, they have lots of evidence that's contrary to evolution. <laughs> and they always, you know, sadly, they're starting with the wrong foundation, but they'll try, they'll try to find ways to make that fit and make that work. Because again, it's really, it's not a, it's not an evidence issue. It's a foundation. It's a faith issue. Right. You, you know, Romans 1, 18 says this, and folks, listen very carefully, and Dr. Uh, Purdom, I want you to speak to this, but Romans 1, 18 speaks of man suppressing known truth because of their unrighteousness. And, and talking about when a, an evolutionist gets uh, things that are just unquestionably counter to the assumptions of Darwinism, but yet they they spin it, they suppress it, they ignore it. Uh, that's the that's the indictment against man that because of our sinful predisposition, we suppressed known truth, um, and God will cause people to answer for that one day, won't He? Yeah, absolutely. I always say it. It, it really isn't a. Um, it's really a heart issue. Um, I think a yeah. lot of times we think it's a head issue when it comes to believing in evolution or creation, but it's really a heart. And many times people have a heart in rebellion to God and they don't want um, his word to be true because it's more than just about creation being true. Because if God is real and he has created you and you are made in his image, then you can't just live however you want to live. You have, you need to be obeying him and listening to his word because, and, and understanding really that what he wants for you is best, you know, not what you want. And so that is, um, and that's hard for a lot of people because they, they want to be their own authority. They want to be their own God. That's what happened at the very beginning, right? Eve wanted to be, she wanted to make the decision. She wanted to be her own God basically and, and, and do those things. And so it's pride ultimately is what it is. And, and people rebel against God because of that. And, um, uh, and it, sometimes it's hard because people say, how with all of this evidence could someone believe otherwise? And I say, I think too, there does come a point that, you know, it says God gives them over in that same passage. You know, he's yeah. sometimes they just, they've rejected God so many times that now it's really going to be hard for them to see the truth because their heart has just become so hard and God has given them over to their sin and it's going to be 
not that they can never come to know Christ, but it's going to, the more that they reject him, the harder that's going to become. So uh, you, with a PhD in uh, molecular genetics, I'm going to throw one word out here. And folks, this is where, uh, I mean, this is where we are, the battle for the souls of people, the battle for truth, the battle for reality. And, And here's the word that I want you to comment on, Dr., transgenderism. I mean, you know, uh, and there's a lot I could say, but uh, certainly the world of of geneticists, uh, irrespective of issues of salvation, I'm not talking about even believing in Jesus and being born again, but I'm just talking about male and female gender fluidity. Please tell me that the world of geneticists are saying, time out, uh, look, men are men and women are women. Talk to me about where the truly scientific world is about this ideology known as transgenderism. Yeah, and so what scientists really have to do, at least scientists that aren't Christians and want to buy into this nonsense, um, what they really have to do is they have to say, okay, sex and gender are separate. So um, biologically speaking, genetically speaking, yes, you're either male or female. You're either, I always say, um, (laughs) there is no debate about this. So if you have two X chromosomes, you are a female. If you have an X and a Y chromosome, you are a male. And um, I always, my my phrase anymore is no Y, no guy. So no Y chromosome, (laughs) you're not a guy. There's just no no way around that. No Y, no guy. No why, no guy. So now, can there be genetic abnormalities in the sex chromosomes that can lead to some things that are maybe ambiguous with people from time to time? Absolutely. Um, because we live in a fallen world and those kinds of things happen and we need to show a lot of grace to people and we need to help them and have compassion on them. But um, but they're extremely rare and we should never argue from the abnormal for what is normal um, and to try to say that that's somehow normal. And most of the people, because I've done a lot of um, study on this, I have a whole presentation on this, but most of the people that even have sex chromosome abnormalities, very small percentage of them actually even struggle with transgender or that idea of gender dysphoria. So um, so they always keep trying to find some sort of genetic reason for why people, even homosexuality, we see this all the time with the idea of engaging. There is no definitive genetic evidence that would that would lend itself to saying, well, there's a genetic or biological reason why someone would um, not feel right in their own body or with their own sex or or homosexuality. And there's just no there's no evidence for that. So it truly is a choice that people are making. And, and I will say this, even if people say, well, what if someday we find something like that? And I say, well, we find some sort of genetic basis for it. And I always say, well, we live in a fallen world and we all are born with different proclivities towards sin. And we all make choices and we all, um, God provides a way of escape. We're not going to be tempted beyond what we're able and he can help us uh, deal with all of those things, regardless of what the sin issue might be. Um, Doctor, I I was reading uh, a nursing journal that my wife gets in the mail. My wife is a nurse, and uh, I'm noticing this kind of nomenclature. This is a secular nursing journal, and they'll say, quote, persons with a womb 
or persons with a penis. And I'm like, okay, you mean a woman? But they don't say woman anymore. And this is just within the, the last couple of years. They don't say woman or they don't say man. Or, or the, they'll use this term, birthing person. Now, give me your comment. Um, how concerned are you that in the medical field, uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's not due to new discoveries, but I would say the lobbying pressure of pro-LGBTQ trans activists, how, how concerned are you that a, a medical journal that ought to have more conviction is they're not using the word male or female, man or woman, but they're saying a, you know, a person with a womb. Um, the, 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 the willingness to change the use of language like that, do, you as a scientist, does that concern you? 100% it concerns me because people are lying. I mean, people are just trying to give in to this agenda and say it's okay. But I think we need to realize one of the biggest reasons, I, I truly believe one of the biggest reasons that medical professionals and scientists are going along with some of this and allowing these children to be castrated and mutilated um, mm. is because it brings money. It brings in a lot of money. And we really need to realize that these individuals are going to be on hormones the rest of their lives. Um, they're going to have to have follow-up surgeries. They're going to have to have some kind of help because these things are awful what they're doing to... I, I'm sorry. I just I get really upset at this because it, this is the largest scientific experiment carried out on children by, by not only parents allowing it, scientists allowing it, medical doctors allowing it, the government allowing it. And um, it, it is medical experimentation. And we don't, we are just starting to see some of the outcomes of that, sadly, um, where people's lives are changed forever because of this. And so yeah. people really need to wake up because it bothers me when the scientific community buys into it um, and, and goes along with it without pointing out the very clear problems with it. Because again, I think it's because of the money that it brings in. So um, what do you say, or how, how do you respond if somebody says, um, well, you're, you're transphobic? You know, if, if you believe that, that gender is fixed, not fluid, a male mm -hmm. is a male, like you say, no, no why, no guy, and somebody mm -hmm. says, well, well, that's because you, you creationists and you Christians, you're transphobic. You fear what you don't understand. How do you respond to something like that? Yeah, I think a lot of times when you use that word phobia, they're meaning you hate me because I'm different or you hate me because of what I believe. I don't hate anyone. Um, I, I, I love my response is, look, my starting point is God's word. And so God's word makes it very clear um, that there is only male and female. I know mm -hmm. as a geneticist, I can say that scientifically there is only male or female. So it's consistent. It confirms God's word. And so when I start with that, just um, that is that is the basis, that is the foundation for why I'm saying what I'm saying. And that's what I want people to understand. I think a lot of times we can um, 
I don't want to get in some big argument over it, but I, I love that person enough to tell them the truth that this is what God has said in his word. And he has a plan and a purpose for their life. And maybe they just don't, you know, if they're not starting with God's word and they don't have that, um, that's why they're seeing it very, very differently, so to speak. And so then we need to talk about, well, who's right? (laughs) Is it God or is it people decide these things? And that's where, that's where we have to really bring them, I think, down to, um, that, that ultimate, argument it's a it's a foundational issue and that's where we need to deal with that's where we need to deal with it so to speak Mm. well and still i mean procreation uh is inherently uh heterosexual uh you know if you want to create another human you've got to have a male and a female am i right (laughs) Yeah, those are the matching parts, so to speak, are pretty important um, in being able to do that. And they are looking for ways, though, sadly, to even try to make it possible to combine even like two eggs or um, or the DNA, not two eggs, but the egg, like take an egg, take DNA from another egg and put it in and and make a human being. And the same thing, they're trying to do that with um, sperm as well, to basically take DNA from two sperm and combine that in an egg and, and make it work. The, the problem is, is that, I mean, they have done this in mice to some degree, um, mm. but it hasn't been super successful, number one. And number two, what people don't realize is it's more than just even... Um, Again, there's all these layers of of information in DNA, and it requires DNA from a male and a female in order to form a living human being. Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, it it just amazes me sometimes how we're trying to get around it. You see a lot of surrogacy as a result of this. You know, while I, you know, gay couples who can't have children obviously uh, seek out um, other individuals to help them. And so you see other people becoming part of this relationship and it is, it's a nightmare. It really is a mess. And, and again, it just, it reminds us why we need to keep fighting for truth and, and helping people know the truth of God's word. Well, well, indeed. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't have an elegant way to ask what I'm about to ask. So I'm just going to do my best to, put a question before you, doctor, but has God woven into reality barriers that will prevent human experiments from coming to fruition? I mean, you know, two eggs will will not produce an embryo, and two sperm will not produce an embryo. Uh, Please tell me as a geneticist that Somehow God says, no, uh, time out. Man's experimentation will not override the fabric of reality. I mean, uh, because, uh, you, you know, uh, Romans one twenty two, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Please tell me that human... Uh, ideology or human agenda will not override the way that God has created reality. I I don't know if it's possible for me to say that um, without, with, because I just don't know. I mean, people, just because people should do it doesn't mean they should just because they can do it doesn't mean they should do it. And sadly, we're getting into some of these things. There's other types of experimentation that people are doing where they're even like forming, um, Uh, they're taking like brain cells and they're growing like these mini brains. And I'm just like, 
I don't know what you're doing. Like where they're taking um, cells from one animal and putting it into like another animal and seeing how much of their cells will populate. They've done it some in other countries with human embryos. And I don't know 100% what the barriers are to that. Um, if that will be prevented, if it can be prevented, if God would not allow that to happen, or if we're getting into things that we really shouldn't be getting into. And that's why I say when there's any question, obviously any type of human embryo experimentation is wrong because you're taking the embryo's life. That is a living human being and you've just taken their life in the name of research. Um, so yeah. that's problematic. And, um, and we just don't, I don't know what the outcome would be because DNA basically has a stamp on it. It's called an imprint that if it comes from a male and an Im a different imprint, if it comes from a female. And so that's why you need both together to form a living human being. I don't know what happens when you have two female or two male in the experiments that have been done with mice, they had to kind of make, if it was two females, they had to make the DNA from one of them be a like, look more male basically mm -hmm. to get it to work. But you're dealing with 3 billion base pairs. It's huge. And you've got a lot of these like layers of things. I don't know how you do that. You might get a living human being. I don't know what shape they're going to be in. I mean, they be, could be clearly deformed. They could have a lot of problems as a result of this. Um, and so, but again, I, I just think it's, it's really, um, we really need to be praying. They just don't have ethics. They don't have that foundation of God's word to stop them from doing these things. We do need government to regulate um, those things and hopefully help prevent some of that from happening. You know, uh, I really think if there's a verse that so accurately describes the world where we find ourselves, in, in Romans 1.28, it says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You know, I, I think that we're living in a world, um, would you agree that we're, we're watching this around, uh, all around us? People, a lost world does not like to retain God in their knowledge. And they've tried to, uh, you know, suppress truth, uh, push God out of the conversation, that that really is is descriptive of the of the world where we find ourselves in the 21st century w would you agree yeah i think i think that's what we're really seeing is you know it, it's amazing to me if you think about when um the the supreme court decided on gay marriage back in 2015 and how oh, wow. how quickly our society has changed as a result of that it's it's kind of amazing and and we think it's happened really quickly but i think again it's it goes to that verse that god gives them over um to this like it doesn't yeah. then nothing is is wrong you know in their minds and and so i think that's why we're seeing that acceleration i remember rosaria butterfield when she came and spoke um at answers in genesis one of the things she said that i'll never forget is she said you got to realize the, the, this was before gay marriage was legal, okay? And she said, the reason that people are fighting so hard for gay marriage to be legal has nothing to do with the fact that gay couples want to be legally married. It has had no. everything to do with opening the door to everything else. Yeah. And I thought that was very prophetic, so to speak, because that's literally what it did. Because now you've even got these people that want to say pedophilia is okay and bestiality is okay. And it's just, it's just slippery soap, right? I mean, if, because... And I understand why they're saying those things, because again, if, if we can redefine marriage, if we can redefine who God has designed us to be in male and female, then what's, then why can't we do any of these other things? I mean, they're being consistent. Right. 
it's sad yeah. and we don't want that. It's a reprobate, reprobate mind, but they're at, they're at being absolutely consistent with that worldview. Uh, if we still have time for another question or two, if you want to call in, uh, viewers, the number is 719-619-2341. Let me just say this, folks, and uh, Dr. Georgia Perdom, I'm so grateful for you being willing to be on the program, and then I'm grateful for what you're doing using your, your uh, background in science and your mind and your voice to stand for truth. But what about you viewers? Look, um, maybe you're a pastor, maybe you're uh, in church, you teach Sunday school, or maybe you've got the ability to influence young people as they're coming up. Uh, whoever you are, if you're a, a Christian believer, I want to challenge all of you to be courageous and to take a stand for truth. Because um, there, there's an old quote, doctor, it says, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Um, we must take a stand. Uh, this is the time. Courageous, uh, maybe it's out of our comfort zone, but we have got to be willing to be on record and say to those around us, look, truth is true, regardless of the the opposition of, of a fallen world. Uh, and we, we have to do what we can do to stand for truth because God will hold us accountable for what we did with the truth that we knew, won't, won't he? Yeah, I think I was just reading um, a book on, on Corey Timboom recently, and yeah. um, I, I think it's great. I always encourage people to really read about some of these people and what they did um, during things like World War II and, and other people that have been um, obviously killed or imprisoned for their faith. Um, it, to me, it, it's something that's really encouraging and makes me think like, what's going to happen when I mask that question, you know, with a gun mm. held to my head, um, or I have to make a choice. Do I hide these people or help these people or, you know, whatever it might be that God's asking us to do in the days ahead. I think we need to start preparing ourselves, um, spiritually and mentally. I encourage people to, um, memorize scripture, um, memorize yeah. large passages of it. You don't know if you're going to have a Bible. I mean, when you're, when you're imprisoned or, or whatever it might be, you don't know what you're going to have access to. It might just be what's in your mind. And so, um, really memorize God's word, um, be preparing. I think, especially as parents and grandparents to be preparing our children and our grandchildren, because while it may not be much of a reality for us, it's definitely going to be a reality for them. And so, mm. um, I, I just encourage people and, and again, not to be pessimistic. I'm just being realistic and Amen. preparing for the days ahead. Amen. Um, if we could go to Elizabeth in Missouri uh, first. Uh, Elizabeth has a question, and Elizabeth is a subscriber. Thank you very much for being a part of Truth and Liberty. And by the way, folks, go to the website, truthandliberty.net, and you can subscribe. I've got an article that Richard is going to post on the website, uh, a brand new article that I've just written. There's so much content on the Truth and Liberty website. But Elizabeth, thanks for calling in. What is your question for our guest, Dr. Georgia Purdom? Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. And my question was sparked by the human-created human babies, yeah. where they're cre trying to create babies. I wondered if you would have an educated guess or even knowledge, what kind of a spirit would a human-created 
baby, what do you think their spirit would be? Mm. Good question. Well, I would say, I mean, if it's a human, if it's a living human being, then God has created that spirit. I mean, that's not something that's, I mean, this is not a, um, so, some sort of speak animal, human person or whatever. This is truly a living human being. Um, just like when they do things like in vitro fertilization, where they're taking a, a sperm or, you know, um, they're trying to put the sperm and the egg together, obviously in a dish, um, even though that's done outside the woman's womb, it is still a, still a living human being made in the image of God, regardless of how they were made. As long as they have those DNA components there, you know what I'm saying, to create a living human being, all that's there and and, and correct, at least to be able to do that, then it's, then it's a living human being, even if it was made in a way that was very different from what we're used to. Yeah. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 uh, talks about body, soul, and spirit. Uh, uh, our physical body, the word is sarx, from which we get like sarcophagus. And then psyche is our soul or our mind, our intellect. But then pneuma is our spirit, uh, that part of a human being that we live everlastingly. And uh, when we come to Jesus, our spirit gets regenerated and made alive. And then our mind, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about renewing our mind, our psyche, as we feed on the Word of God and truth. Our mind is renewed. And one day we're going to get a glorified body. And so, um, Elizabeth, to your question, I agree with Dr. Uh, Purdom that um, if it is a, a human being, um, regardless of how that um, uh, fertilization took place, yeah, there, there is a spirit. We often just say soul, but really body, soul, and spirit. I believe that humans are trichotomous, tripartite, three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes, but Randall from Colorado, a subscriber and a student. Randall, um, your question for Dr. Purdom on this edition of Truth and Liberty. I've, thank you, Alex. Uh, can't wait to get you back to Karis, and I'd love for Dr. Pergam to come. Um, Amen. My question is, uh, can can Dr. Pergam genetically speak to the Nephilim, where the sons of God came down and married the daughters of men? Genesis 6. Um, do, do you have a position on that, Dr. Pergam? So um, as a representative of Answers in Genesis, we don't actually take a um, position on who the Nephilim were. We do have some articles on our website. If you get on there and search for Nephilim, uh, you'll see a couple of articles that talk about the different um, positions that people do take on it. We just don't take a particular position. Um, some people believe it was uh, offspring of angels and um a man. Some people believe it was a just a a very wicked race of men uh, potentially. So uh, there's a couple different models, but I don't. We don't because I'm here representing AIG. I don't take a particular position on that. Randall, good question. And and let me, let me say, I had a theologian tell me one time this this may be one of the single most challenging passages. Yeah, you know, the sons of God of Genesis 60 was it you know, carnal men from the line of Seth. Um, you know, we, we probably could do a whole show on this and, and maybe we will, but, uh, we've only got less than a minute left, uh, but, uh, Dr. Georgia Purdom, fascinating. And I want to say a sincere thank you. 
Um, some of your research and some of uh, your writing, uh, where can people find what you've done uh, online? Yeah, if you go to the answersingenesis.org website and just type in my last name, um, all the resources and everything that I have on there will come up. I do have a, a pretty much brand new book that's come out in the last year called Craft It by God. And so it's a great book to teach children about the development of the baby in the womb and the importance of life, that all life is made in the image of God, all human life, and looking at some of those issues surrounding uh, that issue of life for children. So I encourage people to get Craft It by God. God bless you. Well, folks, thanks for watching. Tell somebody about truth and liberty, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.